right, everybody. Welcome back to the Agents of Comic Book Podcast. I am Paul. And I'm Eric. That's right. And we're back here uh, starting a new series. We're going to be jumping into the Doom Patrol finally. Uh, now that we didn't get a chance to cover the first season of the show because the podcast had not existed. Uh, yeah. At the time that it came <laughs> Just out. Just missed it. But we exist now. Yeah, exactly. We, we, I mean, depending on how you want to view your whole reality of time. Right. I mean, we're, we're about to get into it, too. <laughs> yeah, so I was going to say. As we're long entering... as we don't ask ourselves the unanswerable question, you know. Ex- as long as we don't blink out of existence. You never want to think about it. No, we can't think about it too much in this podcast. Because <laughs> one of us here is a liar. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. And whoever might, tells the lie. We might cease to exist. <laughs> We're starting a new series this week, so I figure new people might be jumping on the podcast, so I just want to br- quickly jump over kind of what we are and who we do. Oh, yeah. Wait, what we are and or who, who we, do. we do? Oh my god. <laughs> I might have mixed that up. Listen, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that get later. really personal. We'll get, we'll get into that much <laughs> later. Um, but... Anyway, if you're just joining us, we are uh, Eric and Paul. We mentioned that every week we cover one comic book, usually like six or so issues, but it varies. Um, this week we'll actually be yeah, doing seven. So. Yeah, this the series that we're doing now, we're actually going to make them, actually probably all of them a little bit longer than usual. Yeah, we haven't fully decided yet, but we're going to break this, we're going to do the whole Doom Patrol series, the Grant Morrison run in... We haven't decided how much of it we're going to cover for this series. We'll we'll probably decide uh, as we go on, and maybe mm. we'll talk about it on Twitter and ask fans for some input. Uh, but we want to do a deep dive into the Grant Morrison run while this season's going on. That's what our plan for uh, for this series is going to be. Yep. Um, usually what we'll do is every week we'll break down one story, one comic book arc, and then at the end of the episode compare it to an adaptation of that story. Um, so, for example, this week we're going to be doing the first seven issues of Grant Morrison and Richard Case's Doom Patrol, and we're going to be talking about catching up essentially on our coverage on Doom Patrol Season 1. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about basically what we thought of, in broad strokes, the the coverage of like all those episodes in Season 1 of Doom Patrol. Um, for the media aspect of our podcast, we usually don't go into too much of a deep dive because there's other podcasts that you can use for like yeah. you know, TV reviews. Like, exactly. Everybody does that. Um, so we want to focus more on like the comic books for people who are kind of doing a deep dive on the source material as they watch the show. And more so the connections or you know parallels between the adaptation and what we read in that run of the comics. Right, exactly. Because, I mean, for the Doom Patrol show as an example, like they, they do a really good job of taking stories directly from the book yep. and like adapting it in their own way and exactly. telling their own message on it. But it, you can tell like which ones they're adapting each time, and it's pretty cool to like see the how they differ. Yeah, they don't just do it verbatim. They just kind of take the concept and the ideas and like play with it. So if you're just joining us, if you want to figure out like what we're reading ahead of time, if you want to follow along with what we're talking about, we are on Twitter over at Agents of Podcast. Um, that's where you can find out what we're reading ahead of time. And like I said, sometimes we leave up polls too to decide what we're going to watch or read. Yep. Uh, we did that with our Power Rangers series a few weeks ago. Um, and you can and we also share like screen screen grabs of the art we're talking about, whatnot as well. Because uh, this is an audio medium, so sometimes we can't like show the panels and the covers we're talking about. So I'll yeah. share them there as well if you can't yep. find exactly what we mean. Um, and then we also have a Patreon over at patreon.com slash agents of comic book where you can request episodes. Um, so if you want us to do something specific, like you've been dying to see someone cover a favorite book of yours that has like maybe uh, a movie or a show that, it, that goes along with it, you can request that. Um, you can request either a single episode or up to a three-part series, depending on what level you pick. Um, so we, and we, we will jump on that as soon as we have room in the schedule, like usually pretty much immediately. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's not much on our schedule right now. Exactly, yeah, you might've heard there's a pandemic. It's a going special on. time. Yeah. <laughs> so really there's no movies. All the movies we had planned for this summer and this spring, all of our planned series just went straight out the window. Yep. I was like, Oh, we're going to have a badass five part wonder it woman was series. Stacked. We're going to have a cool uh, black widow in there. Maybe get new mutants. And yep. like, oh, none of that. Nope. That's, I mean, I don't know why I ever expected to cover new mutants. I was going to say that one's never coming out. <laughs> that one will be on the shelf for a while. 
while. Like, I'm sorry, all of our Demon Bear fans. No, they're going to digital release <laughs> soon, right? Yeah, I hope so. I might as they're well not gonna. see the fucking thing. <laughs> they're not going to. Uh, yeah, so we'll see about that one. But that leaves the room open for, you know, Patreon requests or for us just to do random shit. Uh, last week, if you didn't see it, we went and did Howard the Duck for absolutely no reason. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> Which was a tasty treat. And until I mentioned it just now, I had that Leah Thompson song out of my head, and now it's back and in, now in my now head. Yeah, it's immediately Howard back. the Duck. I, like, I think I got it stuck once or <laughs> twice in the past week, but I mean, it's better than the past 20 the week previous. So. Yeah, go back last week if you want to hear Leah Thompson shred on the guitar I with mean, an it's, anthropomorphic duck. It's worth it for the experience, at least. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, but without further ado, we're going to be getting into our Doom Patrol coverage here. Like I mentioned, we're going to be covering the first seven issues of Grant Morrison's run this week. And then next week, I haven't decided how much we'll cover. It'll be at least another seven, maybe more. Um, but this week is going to be basically three stories we're going to cover. One is the four issue Into the Wreckage. We're going to be covering the two issue story uh, centered around Jack. And then there's going to be a one off at the end all about Dorothy. Yeah. Uh, so those are the, the three we're going to be covering this week. The creative team on this book is uh, obviously we mentioned is written by Grant Morrison. Uh, I think this is the third Grant Morrison book we've done now. Um, so we did Klaus, and then we did All-Star Superman. I think this will be our Yeah, third. this will be three. Yep, so uh, Grant Morrison is your favorite writer and one oh, of yeah. my favorite writers. So, yeah, it's, it's one we'll probably go back to Someone a lot. Someone please read The please read the Invisibles. <laughs> you keep telling me to read It's on my show. I mean, we, I, I know we probably can't cover it for a while because there's no adaptation. Not and yet. Who knows what's going to happen. I don't even know if I want there to be an adaptation, but well, I recently finished it finally. It's a, it's a bona fide thing. They're making an Invisible show. If It's for sure being yeah, done? it's for sure being oh, done. Man. So... God, Whether or not fingers you like crossed, it, it'll man. exist. Fingers crossed. I don't know, man. But yeah, someone read it so I could talk about it with There's someone. There's been a lot of Grant Morrison uh, adaptations recently, because not only Doom Patrol, uh, he had That Happy, Brave New World. A Brave New World. Yeah, I need uh, to get on that. I was talking with my dad about that. Yeah, so Grant Morrison, uh, he's finally hitting the TV side. Yeah, man, he's getting it. Uh, so far, Doom Patrol's been my favorite one, but we'll get to that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Art on this, uh, pencils are done by Richard Case, who carries like a lot of this series on his shoulders for like a lot of like the trippy art and whatnot. I love him on this book. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and then we have inks by Carlos Garzon and color uh, colors by Michelle Workman, and then uh, letters by John Workman. So I don't know if there's a relation there. I didn't research into that. I mean, it seems like a be a pretty big coincidence but who knows uh so yeah so this arc is called into the wreckage it's basically going to be our introduction into this team this is technically issue number 19 but this is yeah. a fine jumping on point for anybody you don't need to read the uh issues before this yep um because they kind of brush over it it's like there was some island and the doom patrol got obliterated in, yeah, in and a like, sense yeah and like uh one, one of the members of the doom patrol was like lying about being like chief's wife so there was like some retcons that grant morrison is doing here too yeah yeah um so there's some things grant morrison is just straight up changing like he asked the last writer just to not even include rita because he had no plans for the character <laughs> yeah. so rita's not in this run at all i'm nope. sorry for fans of hers in the show she's great in the show yeah i love her in the show um so it would have been interesting to see his take on it but he didn't have any ideas so rita's just not here yeah and she's not even i don't even think she's i think she's mentioned once and later i think on yeah, they, the they show up. It, she shows up in one panel in reference, but yeah, yeah that's about it. Um, but yeah, so the team of this book is going to be all um, Cliff, Robot Man, Jane, and then uh, Larry in this book goes by Rebus because he's under like uh, he's combined entities with. Uh, uh, he's combined entities with uh, a doctor named Eleanor while he was like in treat. There was like apparently some kind of bomb that went off or something just yeah. before this run, which sets up a lot of the stuff we're going to see. So he's been like in the hospital recovering from his injuries and the negative spirit like combines Larry with uh, Eleanor and they become like a like a triforce of people, personalities in their body. Yep. Um, so that, so he goes by Rebus at this point because he's no longer just Larry. He's a combination of all these things. Yeah. And Rebus, it's, uh, some kind of term in alchemy for like, it's a call like a chemical marriage or something like that. Oh, okay. 
And then when we first meet Jane, uh, she, she's going to be a new character. This is her first appearance, this issue, number 19. Um, uh, Cliff gets introduced to her by, uh, by Will Magnus. Will Magnus is another character who will, will kind of be like in the side of the Doom Patrol as this run goes on. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's an old school DC character known for creating like the Metal Men, which are just like these, uh, it's like, I'm Tungsten, I'm Copper, okay. I'm Gold. It's yeah, just like yeah. this old school thing. Yeah, a bunch gotcha. of robots. <laughs> so he's like the, one of the DC robot experts. It's canon. So, gotcha. So it makes sense he'd be in here kind of giving Cliff like uh, advice. Like, oh, he didn't really build you a good body, did he? Yeah, he's kind of, he kind of just plays as the chief's like not rival but kind of just like scientific uh like nemesis i guess yeah it's kind of like in the show they make it silas stone as his rival cyborg's dad so that worked out well as well yeah it's a good Um, parallel yep so so that's basically the role he'll be filling in this so Jane's introduction in here is pretty cool because he he doesn't actually even meet Jane till much later. He he keeps meeting Jane's other uh like persons in her body. Yep. Uh, Jane has multiple personalities, and at some point during that, she got like metahuman powers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now all of her personalities have different powers themselves, which is an insane concept, right? So <laughs> so she'll switch between uh personalities, and each one will have like a different super ability, which is kind of and it, it seems like they kind of switch. Not at random, but not under... It's almost like a subconscious switch. Yep. Like, it's never like... I mean, sometimes it's on purpose, but very rarely. Yeah, sometimes they will work in pretty good unison when it, like, really matters. But other than that, it's kind of just a roll of the dice. Right. I mean, because all the personalities, are, they do have goals. Like, their main goal is, like, protect the K. K is, like, the, the person she is underneath. We'll learn more about that later. Yeah, and if you know the name K Chalice, or if you've read The Invisibles, you know that that's the name of Ragged Robin, and it's not a coincidence. Yep, another Invisibles <laughs> tie-in. Yeah, I believe not, you- not to spoil it. I believe he said they're supposed to be the same character, but I, I they think are. that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, if you've read The Invisibles, you'd understand. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of comic books out there. I don't know if you've Oh, read no, them. I know. It's a lot. <laughs> the setup for the conflict of this arc is all going to be centered around uh, the Scissormen. Uh, and they start out kind of just like as this weird foe that kind of comes in and doesn't make a ton of sense. You're, and that's kind of what a lot of these arcs start out as. Um, that's kind of like maybe one of the formulas of the, a lot of these Doom Patrol stories is you'll start out like they jump you into the deep end right away. Yeah. And then let you figure out stuff as it goes. And by the end, it'll all make sense. Yeah. But it's kind of like and that's why uh, Cliff is almost like the audience stand in for these stories. Yeah. Because he'll be uh, and uh, Robot Man will be in there going like, I have no idea what's happening or what's real or if any what's going on. Someone <laughs> please explain something to me. Yeah. Like he's just always looking for something to smash whenever like the trippy stuff st- uh, stuff starts popping off he's just like what is happening right so i, I think that's kind of like uh he's almost like a comforting presence in some of these stories because oh yeah even when you're a little bit confused by what's happening it's kind of nice to have that one character who's like just with you being like i don't know either man <laughs> exactly like and I th- that like when the stuff pops off like you're not supposed to understand what's happening like you're just <laughs> supposed to like sit back for the ride right that's what <laughs> makes this interesting what makes a lot of these stories different than other superhero stories is it's like uh, just comfortable. It's just comfortable being weird. You know, it's just comfortable yep. existing in a space where you don't have to understand everything. Yeah, like, exactly. Like understanding every detail of it isn't necessary, and in, in fact, it might be detrimental because it would make it less interesting. Exactly. Yeah, and like these crazy scenarios make like these insanely weird characters like just look that much more human and yep. normal. <laughs> and so that's where we start out with the scissor man. It starts out as just these guys. Uh, it looks like just guys in like red costumes with giant scissors, almost like that scene in The Big Lebowski. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gotta cut off your Johnson. <laughs> yeah, they're just kind of like speaking like mythical gibberish. Like they don't make sense. They right. just kind of spout off. It's like literal nonsense. They're just speaking like words combined into like randomness. Yeah, yeah it's just gibberish. And so when they show up, people are like, uh, what the hell are you? <laughs> and when they show up, they literally will cut you out of existence with their scissors. Like they'll cut the edges around you and then you'll just be like a white like uh, mannequin, like a white uh 
what's the silhouette word for silhouette yeah, yeah like and i mean i guess if you want to think it in kind of a meta context too it's like just you're cutting you out of the comic so you're just part of the white background and that's great yeah because yeah. that's actually um you hit the nail on the head there because this whole story kind of has like a meta context around it yep um and it's cool because which you, if you know graham morrison he loves to do that yeah it's <laughs> like almost adding the writer and the text itself into the story which exactly. is literally this is why this is a really good uh story to open up this book with because it's the whole story is about a book that becomes sentient because it's written like that yep. it's written as metafiction and it becomes alive so it's like that's a really cool arc to start this out yeah on. basically just powered by the power of belief and like manifested into reality right because they wrote a book as metafiction and here's grant morrison writing his own metafiction yeah <laughs> like, buy my book <laughs> yeah it exactly. definitely won't create a world city <laughs> um because that's what's essentially happening we'll find out as they investigate more is the scissor men uh come from this book they call it the black book it's something chief has gotten his hands on yep and he explains it as these these bunch of writers got together to make this this book like this fictional book like they were all making it up as they go but yep. almost like in they we're doing it is almost like a ritual yeah basically as a ma it's a magic spell in a sense yeah exactly which of is another graham morrison niche but these were just like a, it seems like is that what we get from this is it's just a bunch of rich assholes who did it as a joke yeah which is what it seems like <laughs> and then it just like got away from them yeah like i didn't get the sense if they were just making this to sell to make money or if they were literally just fucking around i think they were it, the way the take i got from it was they were doing it as like they were doing it as like an occult ritual but they were almost doing it just to like show they could as like a laugh Be yeah, like, yeah what if we made a funny book and like it made came a life you know and like started a semi-apocalypse right yeah, that, wouldn't that be hilarious um but yeah in that meta context you talked about is pretty cool because like one of the covers for this book uh, i think it's issue 21 even the cover is uh jane and cliff on the cover with like a dotted line around them like you're supposed to cut it out oh yeah and the cover says like cut out your own characters it's like you can cut them out of the comic book that's awesome they'll just become a white yeah yeah i love that so it's like a very meta context right there like no don't cut us out you'll they'll win <laughs> you're gonna ruin the story and so the, um there's a cool part too where the scissor man attack jane and cliff um, they they accidentally go to the wrong headquarters because apparently like Chief didn't tell him where the fuck to go because yeah. they went they wind up going to the right one later he like takes over like a Justice League headquarters but oh, they yeah, go to yeah. the wrong one by accident at first um, and so as they go there they get attacked by the Scissor Men. And we get to see one of Jane's, uh, a, a, like a, one of her probably most dangerous personalities, which is uh, black. Is it Black Annis or Black Annie? Pretty sure think? it's Black Annis. Okay, it's uh, uh, it's some kind of Scottish or Irish like folklore thing, like some kind of not like a witch woman, but like just kind of a old hag that like killed and like ate people. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what we have here. She kind of almost looks like a yeah, like a maybe um, like a Baba Yaga from like, yeah, the Hellboy, exactly yeah. a little bit because uh, she just has like sharp nails that she uses like Wolverine claws. Yep, and uh, it's and Cliff mentions like it's the first time i've seen one of her personalities like change her physically into something different yeah exactly so now we know that's possible which is kind of interesting as well yeah that opens up the playing field right exactly <laughs> they're not just superpowers like they are literally different people or and, and or different creatures maybe yeah and the power levels could be like any kind of window you yeah. could think of yeah because like black anise as far as we know like is super fucking like she because uh, the way we're just like it's described is like she can cut through anything and so yep. the scissor men get like vaporized yeah she just her. shreds them yeah so that's pretty cool i think and like even jane seems like scared of her because as soon as she comes out of the transformation she's like is she gone is black anise gone like, please <laughs> tell me she's gone i mean i'd be freaking terrified of that thing right yeah <laughs> 
another character who we haven't mentioned yet who pops up here as well is uh, Joshua. He's like a member of like the the team of the Doom Patrol that came in the, the issues before. Yeah, this. the original. Um, his powers, I would say, his powers are probably a little bit comparable to maybe like Captain Marvel. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I got. He has like energy blasts that he shoots out of his hands. It's it's, it's a pretty standard issue superhero power. Yeah, pretty um, cookie cutter. But what's what what makes him kind of cool is that he is like he's almost like taking a vow of pacifism, almost like he, he's sick of like. You know, being ordered around by the chief, yeah, uh, but like just kind of like being a soldier in his army because he's like, I don't know what I'm doing with these powers, but like it doesn't, I don't like you know shooting rays and destroying things. Like, yeah, it's not and, my and thing. Doing things that don't really make any difference to better people's lives, and you're just really helping this like maniacal guy right. who's like a scientist. So, I like Joshua's <laughs> role in this because he kind of opens up. He's the only character who's like openly, immediately questioning the Niles. Yeah, and, he like, can what? see through like Niles's bullshit. Oh, always, yeah, because yeah. he's always like, I don't know what you're doing, and some of these things you're saying don't make sense like why is everything suddenly different than it was like you know and that's almost like a metafiction as well like oh a new writer took over why is everything suddenly different why are yeah, you exactly. evil all of a sudden <laughs> yeah he's kind of like lost or like he's a fish out of water like something's just not quite right because as far as i know grant morrison was the first one to introduce like what i'll call evil niles which is what niles will be and what he is for the rest of time and what he should be and in the show too right. Because, I mean, I think Grant Morrison looked at it like, yeah, this guy basically heads like a like a military operation of the CIA. Like, he would be evil. Yeah, he would not. <laughs> I mean, he might have some good intentions, but as a whole, he would not be a good oh, person. Oh, he would be an evil piece of shit. Yeah. Like, no one that gets in that position didn't, like, step over plenty of heads to get there. Yeah, because and we, we skipped over this scene, but there's an, a scene at the end of issue one where... Um, they, like the scissor men first show up and the police arrive on the scene oh, and yeah. like, they immediately recognize like it's a weird, like unanswerable situation. And they mention the doom patrol, like, you know, we'll call this one up. Like they'll, they'll call the feds, the yep. feds will call the president and then the president will call Niles Calder. Yeah. So it's like, he answers directly to like the, the white house, the white house on this. Yeah, exactly. So it's, like, that's the kind of the role the doom patrol has, which like it, it instantly like makes them a little shady, which is kind of like fun to read about. Mm hmm. Um, but yeah, Josh, uh, his powers do seem to vaporize the the Scissor Man as well, like his photon powers. Um, but one sneaks behind him and cuts him out as well. Yeah, they they miscounted. Yep, <laughs> they get through. He lasers a bunch. He's like, "Well, how many were there? Did we get them?" It's like, "I think we got." Oh no! Oh yeah, you always gotta count the Scissor Man. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so when Josh is cut out, he's literally just a silhouette that they can reach through, and there's nothing there. Yeah, of course the chief just like starts licking his chops, like, "Ooh, this is something fun." Right now I can study the silhouette. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Robot Man's just like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, that, that's pretty much his slogan. Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you sticking your hand through that? Um, but now this is going to, because now that's raised the stakes, though, too, because now Josh is taken. Now it's a rescue mission because they have to go into the city now. Because um, like like I said, we like we kind of touched on this was like a metafiction book that they wrote. Yep. So they've created like they wrote a story about this like uh, city that exists like on the outskirts of reality. This like basically planet city, almost like I imagine it almost maybe like apocalypse. Yeah, it's called Orkwith. Yeah. Yeah, um, I I kind of see it as like it's basically just the shadow version of the city. It like lays just out like just like outside of like our dimension like yeah. like just teetering on our reality um but chief is explaining like yeah now their reality is merging into ours and threatening to take us all with it like we could all just like grow into nonsense and cease to exist yep um and so they have to go in and stop this so their plan is is twofold basically they're going to send larry and um jane into this and cliff into this other dimension and chief is like i'm going right after the sauce and takes his gun like yeah. to the guys who wrote the book <laughs> yeah shoots him in the leg and then makes him tell him everything about it yeah um because there's a good line too where he's like i'm not giving any information uh, to a cripple i'm not telling you anything yeah, i'm not threatened like, by you and she's like oh yeah and shoots him in the leg he's like now we're both cripples how about you tell me now <laughs> it's like you son of a bitch <laughs> yeah that's that was a good moment pretty savage chief there i like that 
Yeah. Um, but once they get into this uh, new new dimension, Jane and Cliff are the ones who end up clutching it because Jane, or I'm sorry, uh, I meant Rebus and Jane are the one yep. who, ones who clutch it because Rebus uses the negative spirit to uh, to get into the head of one of the Scissormen and pulls out some information. They they don't really know how to decipher the information. But uh, luckily, one of Jane's personalities, Mama Pentecost, yep. is like she's like all about like solving like cryptic riddles and shit. Yeah, I kind of um, see it as like she interprets the Bible or like old scriptures, so she can understand kind of you know parallel or right uh, or like see patterns and like puzzles and shit. Yeah, like crazy that too. riddles and shit. Right, exactly. So Mama Pentecost teams up with Rebus to solve this, and they find out that, um, and Chief actually gets this information at the same time, kind of too. Um, but this gives it more context where. The people who wrote this book, um, yeah, Rebus and Jane essentially get told like who the puppet masters are, and then Chief gets told like what they need to know to you know stop them, right? Because the people who wrote this book basically wrote it with like one fatal flaw, yeah. Because the whole thing is written by people, so it's written in very simple kind of manners. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing, basically, they say the whole place will cease to exist. Essentially, if you tell them that they don't exist, they'll realize that they don't. Um, because there's, well, as we'll see, there's like a, basically like a Sphinx riddle built into the whole city. And if you answer it and trick them into like believing they don't exist, it kind of like, it's like a wordplay it's like, riddle. Yeah, almost. it's like its own source code. And, uh, like I said, some of Jane's personalities only pop up in the background or are only used for a moment. So some of them are pretty cool. There's one that shows up here that I really like, um, that I wish we would see more where Jane literally grows like three like three stories tall and gets a sun for a head and starts like shooting out like sun bolts at people that incinerate them yeah it's pretty metal i, I forgot the name of the personality it's something like uh, like daddy sun eater or something crazy like that yeah it's yeah it's something close to that um so, so it's pretty cool because like <laughs> there's a hilarious panel where um a uh, robot man is running like talking to jane and then he turns around and he's like are you even listening or like, do you <laughs> hear me and then he looks up and it's just her as a giant just like oh obliterating things like, just as like a giant like poof poof yeah poof. It's an insane, and in the first season of the show too, they actually like you see pull it for it out. a moment. Yeah, yeah, they pull it out for a little bit. Um, so so I thought that I thought that's pretty cool. I wish we'd see that one more often. It'd be cool to see her like as a giant, like going through the city, just boom, boom, boom. Yeah, that's definitely one of the more powerful personalities. You <laughs> yeah, it's got to be. Um, but like I said, some some personalities we don't know a lot about. That's what kind of makes them interesting because I don't know, like we don't know a lot about that one. Yeah, exactly. Like, as far as I know, in the, in this Grant Morrison run, that's the only time we see it. There might I think be it, one. I think there's one, or, one other time it comes there might up. Be, yeah, yeah, you I think so. Right. Um, but yeah, so now that Rebus has the information they need, they know that they need to solve the Sphinx riddle, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and Rebus goes in and uh, there's it's like these two people with clock heads. One is in a white robe, one's in a black robe. And we're told that one always tells the truth yep. and one always lies. And so Rebus knows that he needs to convince these things that they don't exist and they'll blink out of existence. Yep. So the way he does it is pretty clever uh, because as soon as he figures out which one is the liar... He goes to the lying priest and he says, tell me why there's something instead of nothing. And, and the priest says, there is something instead of nothing. And since he's the lying one, the then whole that place means... blinks out of existence. Because if, if the lying one says there is something instead of nothing and he's lying, then there's nothing. Instead like, of something. Exactly. So <laughs> essentially the creations have stopped believing in themselves. Like they, they don't think they're real anymore and yeah. they blink out of existence. Basically like uh getting a demon to say his name backwards or whatever yeah or it's like uh will uh will ferrell in stranger than fiction <laughs> yeah that too <laughs> he, he realizes he's in a book <laughs> 
And so, like we talked about, that kind of that kind of wraps up the story. Now that they blinked out of existence, they're just going to get rid of the book, and that'll be the end of that. Yeah. And the guy, I don't even know what Chief did with the guy he shot in the leg. I'm assuming he's like buried in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> You're a doctor. Take care of it. Um, but at the end, it kind of ends with like literally all four of them putting their hands in for the Doom Patrol. Like, let's go, team. We're a team now. <laughs> we sure can do will, good. There's no way this will end poorly. Yeah, we're do gooders now. And the, it's kind of like I, I like the final panel that Richard Case does. Like as soon as they put their hands in for the team, it's just a panel of like. Uh, Chief just looking smug, like looking down, and just like, good. <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. Yeah, you finally listen to me. <laughs> um, there's a cool, there's two epilogues that end this, too. One of them sets up the story we're about to talk about. It shows Rhea, uh, who is the member of the old Doom Patrol, yep. getting like kidnapped by a mysterious, like, ethereal figure, mm-hmm. like in her hospital bed. And then the second one is also a setup for the story we'll be covering next week in uh, our coverage of Doom Patrol, which will be Mr. Nobody, yep. which is exciting because we see, like, literally uh, Paraguay, which is where Mr. Nobody's origins take place we'll talk about it more next week yeah very similar to the show yep if you watch the show it's very similar to that oh so yeah you can kind of you'll, imagine where this yeah, is yeah you'll recognize it um and it's literally just like a hunter like uh um or maybe like a security guard of some kind because he knows who the doctor is yeah like, goes into this mansion and there's this like lab doctor crawling out of his basement going he escaped he escaped <laughs> and it's just like this ominous like who escaped mr nobody <laughs> and we'll kind of see flashes of that as, over these next couple issues it usually ends with like a panel of mr nobody showing up recruiting like someone who's on like the outskirts of like society yeah kind of being like oh well you can join my gang i'll accept you and kind of like recruits these different like uh these different people yeah, off the streets the gang of misfit toys right exactly <laughs> um, so that'll kind of set up the uh the mr nobody story later on um but the story we're going to cover next is a two-issue arc um uh, it's all about Jack, essentially Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Um, if you called the Butterfly Collector. Yep. They they ended up adapting this very recently uh, for the show. Very, very well. Very well. Yeah, oh, I it loved was, it. It was pretty much spot on, but almost like better because they incorporated Chief with it. Yeah. Um, we'll talk. We'll talk a little bit more because they kind of had to change. Because in the comics, it kind of deals with the uh, Raya character, which isn't a character in the show, so they kind of had to fill in something. And right. The Chief was a good a good choice. Well, and the show has the benefit of spoiling the the biggest twist of this book, which we might as well talk about now yeah. we're going to talk about the show anyway which is um i guess stop if you're somehow avoid you somehow avoided that spoiler but <laughs> chief is responsible for all of their accidents of, yeah, the, yeah. Of the doom patrol yeah and the show is already at that point by the time they got to the jack story i think that's why they saved it yeah um so that way they could have chief like be tormented by jack and have jack being like i'm the god of torture now like you know you're my apprentice so that was a really good take on this yeah we're not so different right so because when we first meet Jack, he, he's got an interesting design. He's essentially in like this, uh, how would you describe this? Like a red, almost like British looking, like uh, elegant robe, I, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of a night, not like a night robe, but a little more fancy. And then he's got like a floating head with like a bunch of like a, like a scissors bandana, like almost. It's it, like, like a half like crown. A head, yeah, almost. yeah, or like with a half crown. Uh, kinda. Yeah, it, it makes him look like very like like some kind of magical demon, essentially. Yeah, very mechanical almost. This issue uh, with, that starts out with Jack also introduces us to Dorothy, uh, who we'll talk about more in the issue in the uh, the one off that comes at the end of this. But, yeah. Um, Dorothy's ability is she is like a powerful psychic who conjures ability like uh, characters that she creates from her mind. Yeah. Another almost metafiction type character. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so she's introduced to uh, to Joshua. Um, she basically tells Joshua like your job's to watch Dorothy. Now I'm going to go do my own fucking thing. Yeah. Like, You're oh, the babysitter. Great. Thanks a lot, Chief. Because uh, Joshua actually runs into one of Dorothy's friends as like this giant like yellow arachnid that crawls out of the closet like extremely briefly <laughs> yeah it's horrifying uh, so josh is like oh what the in the fuck <laughs> and this is not what i signed yeah, up for and dorothy's like able to just be like no go away not now we don't play right now <laughs> so it's like a, 
it's kind of like cool. It's like when your imaginary friends are horrifying. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's why what makes Dorothy interesting. It brings uh, almost like a horror take into this book. Yep. Uh, I mean, a lot of these arcs almost have like a horror-y feel to it, but hers are like straight up horror. Oh, yeah. So it's like, you know, these images that she can't get out of her head, like, you know, almost like when you're like, you know, thinking of scary things late at night, but it's like hers come to life. Yeah, exactly. So that's a really good angle for her to set up different stories. Yeah, and then um, and it's coinciding with the Red Jack story in this one, too, which is just as horror-themed. like Right, yeah. <laughs> so so I, um, I, I like Dorothy a lot and like what she brings to like the storytelling. Yep. Um, so the Doom Patrol hears that Ray has been kidnapped out of her bed by some mysterious uh, figure. And so Jane and Cliff go to investigate. Uh, <laughs> Jane, like her whole progression on this, I found hilarious because her personalities completely take over here. Uh, like as basically a private eye. Because they go to the door and they're like, oh, no, this shit's not right. Like we need to find more information. And they go straight to the library. And she doesn't even go through the door of the library. She walks straight through the window like, <laughs> yeah, with a flaming head. Burst through it. <laughs> And so Cliff's just like right behind her, be like, sorry, sorry, like uh, flaming head walking through. We'll pay for that, I promise. Yeah. And she's just going through like books, 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 <laughs> books. And she just walks out of the library with a stack of books. And like Robot Man's still just chasing behind her, like, what are you doing? I, I have no say, idea what's going on. I don't think any employee there is going to be like, uh, ma'am, you need to pay for that. <laughs> There's a, a funny panel, too, where, like, Robot Man chases her back out the window, and he jumps out the window, and there's these two kids walking by, and he's like, and remember, kids, don't walk through plate glass windows. It's bad. <laughs> it's sound advice. Thanks, Robot Man. <laughs> and it's funny, because he's saying that as he walks through it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but what Jane's doing here is, like, not even what you expect. You'd think she's grabbing these books to go back and, like, read them and do research. But, like, her, her mind is, like, this must be more of, like, an occult personality because she literally takes all the books, cuts them up to ribbons, like, almost like putting them through a shredder, and then, like, they float in the air around her to make a new message. It's like, a magic thing. Yeah, ex yeah, exactly. Like, telling her, basically, like, a divination, like, reveal the truth to me. And, and like, it, it's cryptic, but it does tell her what she needs to know. Yeah, exactly. Leads her in the right direction to get to Jack. Um, and essentially it leaves uh, a door open right in front of them. This is going to be almost like, uh, you see this a lot in different, like I think Legion did a thing like this or like where the door opens to a different place. Lock and key did it. Yep. Um, where you open the door to a different place, walk through, but when you close it, the portal's gone. Yeah. It's a solid dimensional, like, uh, kind of transfer deal. Right. So, <laughs> so, uh, Jane leads them through the door, uh, Rebus, uh, Cliff and, and herself, uh, and they wind up at Jack's palace, which is like this grand, uh, cathedral looking place. So there's like fountains and like this grand architecture all over the place. Yeah, it's very like upper class or high class colonial looking. Yes, yeah, exactly. Like like Victorian era kind of looking, which yep. is what's gonna what's gonna tie into it too. Because uh, Jack will even tell them himself like he's Jack the Ripper. Yeah, is what he says over and over. Yeah, Grant Morrison, he's never been a fan of the whole British royal family and that whole UK, you know, uh, oligarchy type deal. So he he kind of bases a lot of his villains and type and types of things off of like that kind of imagery. Yeah, I, I like that because it, it fits in very well here with just like a rich person just like preying on like the like whatever pain he can cause just yeah, for exactly. his own entertainment. Feeding off of pain and yeah. misery. Um, and so that's what Jack's deal is. He's essentially like a torture god. Yeah. Um, he keeps all these butterflies and glasses around and he just like tortures them by like ripping their wings apart for eternity yep. and just feeds off of their pain. So you just see these like glasses filled with butterflies everywhere. Um, and we don't see it in the comic as much, but the show seems to imply that he does it with people and other creatures as well. Mm -hmm. Like just feeds off of all their pain. Yep. Um, and so, I mean, that, that fits in very well with this take. I can imagine he has torture rooms around here. Exactly. Yeah. Like you that. get a guy this ominous and evil, like he's not just surviving off of butterflies. Like that's just his appetizer. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's just a pretty decoration. Exactly. Yeah. Hall, yeah. That's just his morning coffee. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and he even mentions like, yeah, and I, I even dabbled in murder, like you know, back in Whitechapel, uh, I, I, you know, stabbed a bunch of people and killed them, and then tried to rearrange their parts to make something new. Yeah, it didn't work, but it was a fun experiment. <laughs> Good old time, right? So that's just added lore. So like, Cliff is like, is this guy fucking Jack the Ripper? What's going on yeah, here? Yeah, <laughs> literally Jack the Ripper. <laughs> um, and like, they do leave it like all we, I guess all we have is his word on it, but we don't really have a reason not to believe him with that because I mean, that's like obviously like a famous unsolved case, and like if they're saying like it's like a a supernatural take on it. Like, I believe it in this context. Yeah, it's either Jack the Ripper was multiple people or he was this extra-dimensional, like, evil being. Torture god, yeah. <laughs> and so um, all, all three of them kind of get split up at one point, too, and, and, like, there's some really good horror panels here that I want to call out from Richard Case as well. Because, um, like, Rebus gets drawn into this room with, like, uh, even the, the paneling is present... Horror comics are a hard thing to do when you want to actually like be scary or like even creepy. Yeah, because it's hard not to spoil the page. Exactly. And, like, have you and like? Ha- yeah, I feel like the placement is a huge factor. Yeah, and it's hard to get the, the reader to slow down too, because mm-hmm. you need a certain pacing to get horror right. Yeah, but it works out well here because it's got like uh, Rebus going through the halls and like you you want to look at like the different architecture in each one, and then it kind of like pulls back the the perspective and you see like this giant like puppet like reaching down at him which looks pretty cool mm-hmm. um and then there's a really good scene where uh jane goes into her room and uh this is one of my favorite ones because she just sees this little like uh, almost like old school carnival box like a kaleidoscope looking thing yep and on the on the box it says um what the butler saw which is ominous as fuck yeah <laughs> you don't you never want to know what the butler saw yeah no <laughs> and so she, she she goes up and looks into like the periscope almost like one of those things you'd look at like on the top of the empire state building yeah but when she looks through it's literally like a pov shot we can only assume it's a butler and it's just like this rich person just like sitting at a table just like completely nude with like uh like a plate with like a, a handle on it and when he opens up the handle it's just like a plate of hands and like holding forks yeah like bloody stumps yeah it's pretty gross yeah and he's just laughing at it and uh as this um his we what we can assume is his wife walks by and the butler like we can assume is just standing here watching this not allowed to say anything yeah and the wife like comes up holding this baby who ends up just being this like uh talking uh basically an ant ant yeah, yeah bug. it's kind of reminded me of like a racer head almost yeah definitely mm-hmm. where she just like has this baby it's like what do i do with the baby and it's just like a screaming monster it's like Rah! yeah totally and graham morrison like definitely a big theme with his like kind of like representation of evil as far as like extra dimensions go he uses bugs as imagery a lot like that's yeah. a, it's a big thing in the invisibles and the filth and like a lot of stuff I've came up from just him. a second ago with one of dorothy's friends too. yeah exactly mm-hmm. Uh, and so th- that was one of my favorite, like, a uh, really cool couple, just, like, straight-up horror pages of Jane just, like, walking up to this weird machine. Like, you could throw that into any horror movie, and it oh, would yeah. like, be awesome. Be terrifying. Yeah, like, what the butler saw. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Oh, man. And uh, Cliff is, like, because uh, Cliff's whole plan in most of these stories is essentially, can I find the monster? I'm going to go punch it. Yeah, find <laughs> That's it. That's how he gets out of every situation. Find it, smash it. And most of the time, surprisingly, it works. Works pretty well, yeah. Um, but Cliff, like, he's like, all right, well, if it works. So he runs up the stairs to try to punch uh, Jack, and Jack just, like, opens up this, like, cavern in front of him. Like, he has complete control over this space, essentially. Yeah, they're in his realm. And he's just, like, taunting him with different stories. And even at one point, he mentions, like, uh, well, you can call me Red Jack, or you can call me by my other name. God, yeah. nice to meet you. And Cliff's like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? 
Um, and that's kind of one thing he'll keep bringing up. Like, he keeps talking as if he's God. And he even, like, explains his own creation story. Um, and you're kind of, like, left to either believe what he's ta- saying or you could just be like, oh, he's just some insane, like, extra-dimensional being who's just lost touch with what he's saying. Yeah. So it could be either take, but he explains basically his own ex- uh, explanation of, like, the creation of Earth, which he says, you know, at one point there was me and I decided to create something, the world. And, uh, and it was awful and, and evil, so I, I had to be punished for it. And, and Cliff's like, you had to be punished for it? Well, if you created the world, who punished you? And he's like, oh, quit complicating things. I did. Pay attention. <laughs> and he's like, wait, what? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> of course, I created the Earth, then I punished myself for being so evil. Yep. And so, and so he basically is saying he cursed himself to live amongst them and like only be able to interact with them once every, one, every once in a while. Yeah, exactly. And so Cliff's just listening to this like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> um, but you can kind of like almost like, it's kind of an interesting take to be like, because if, if Jack is telling the truth here, that's a scary fucking thought to imagine that literally this torture god that you just met is God himself, and he created the world just so he could feed off of everyone's pain. It's a very bleak take. That yeah. It's hilarious, too, because that actually is very similar to a big thing in Twin Peaks also. Oh, yeah? And also, that's interesting, too, because... um. Not, I'm gonna keep doing it, but back to the Invisibles. Fair like, enough. Yeah. That, and one of the big themes are like uh, from one of the main characters, which, which the main char- the character's name and that is Jack too. Oh, okay, okay. And like he talks about how like why how like one of the main reasons why people created gods is because we were born into this into this world. We didn't understand it. We were scared and ashamed, so we created judges and like uh, executioners to judge us because we thought like we needed protecting and like shielding or whatever. Okay. But so like and that's kind of like our more like base like instant that's why we like need some kind of god like presence and that's definitely kind of similar to how jack yeah, is portrayed except in this. this is a like a, a kind of like a more horror take exactly on that this would idea, be like yeah. if that god like just instead of trying to help you like just fed off your pain and suffering right so it's like <laughs> i think it's like a bleak but kind of interesting in a horror kind of way answer oh, yeah. the question like well if, if god exists why does he let bad things happen because he's a torture because <laughs> he loves it so like in a horror sense that's kind of you know i kind of dig that yeah and i it's not that uncommon like in plenty of ancient like uh civilizations there are plenty of gods that were super into torture yeah so um so that's kind of like a scary idea to pitch this on so now they have to literally fight uh, i hope you're not god because i'm about to punch you in the face yeah exactly <laughs> um but what what actually the way they end up beating jack here is Rhea comes in the clutch he uh, like we mentioned she was kidnapped from the hospital and he's been kind of like carrying her around as what he's calling his bride yeah uh, like we don't know what his plans are like he's a torture god so like nothing good and at this point we don't even really i guess i don't, we don't know. even really know what that means too. and we don't even know that much about Rhea even either no we don't but I we're kind of left with an impression that she has some form of power inside of her that is supposed to be pretty powerful uh, but she does get a cool moment here to her too because she comes lucid like as jack's carrying her and grabs his yep. knife from him and stabs him in the neck this is probably her coolest moment yeah she because, saves the day because she like yeah exactly because like you would i don't know this that this is the exact explanation but i have to assume like the, the reason this kills him is because it's his own knife yeah, that's it's, just it's own, part of his own being. Yeah, I that's guess. like my video game logic. I'm applying to it, where it's yeah. like he, like if this powerful torture god has this knife, it's got to be some kind of like metaphysical, super powerful, like Excalibur kind of shit. You yeah, know? exactly. So like that, if you stab him with his own thing, like that, that's gonna kill him. Yeah, like you're not gonna hurt him with something that's not from this world. Um, but actually, it ends up being the butterflies that kill him because they all break free now that he's been weakened. All the butterflies break free for their revenge and start swarming and <laughs> yeah. eating him alive. Sweet justice. Yeah. Yeah, and he mentions, like, oh, so this is what it feels like, the cold sting of death. And he's like, <laughs> how fitting I should die from these butterflies. Right. Um, so that 
that's kind of like it's a cool like it's wrapped up very quickly but it kind of it left a, a big like it's one of the more memorable stories like when i think back on this run as a whole like this this run this this two issue story stuck with me just because it did like it pulled the horror elements really well and i love horror stories mm-hmm and yeah, and Grant Morrison and Richard Case do it pretty well in this. Yep. Um, and then the the I wanted to include one more issue in our coverage here because there's a nice little one-off. Uh, this next issue, which is all about Dorothy, it's literally all just Dorothy and Joshua back at the base. You can almost maybe even assume this is happening like around the same time because uh, Josh Joshua's over watching Dorothy, and uh, Dorothy goes like, oh, "I don't want to bother you." She's like super sweet. She's like, "I don't want to bother you, yeah. but my TV's broken. Can you help me?" Yeah, exactly. And he's like, "Oh, what are you kidding? Of course I can help you fix a TV. Like you're in there, like you're probably going nuts without it." <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he goes in and like on her TV is this is another horror. Issue. Issues. So this is why I wanted to include it because I'm loving this shit. Yeah, Dorothy definitely creates a lot of the best horror moments yep. in this. Because like I, I'm imagining this like in a horror like TV show or a movie, and this whole issue would just be prime. Oh yeah, because like it's literally Joshua goes into the room like this creepy ass looking like almost TV set of a room. Yeah, and because like a lot of this is the Chief's old stuff, so it's just run down crazy evil science experiments just laying around, right. like, Collecting dust and like even the TVs from like the 40s. Yeah. And so like Joshua goes up, he's like, "How does this thing even still work?" <laughs> yeah, Niles, you can't spring for a new TV. <laughs> <laughs> get get this girl a flat screen. Yeah, Come my on. God. <laughs> I guess this is still like or this is late eighties, so maybe not. <laughs> Niles would have a flat screen. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, his <laughs> like on. crazy computers. He he's built got spaceships. Exactly. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Yeah, and if we want to think about what he creates at the end, then he could create almost anything. Right. If he can't make nanobots, <laughs> he can't make a fucking yeah, flat screen TV. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so the, but this scene is, has a great horror vibe because he goes in, like I mentioned, it's like a, like a TV set like looking ass room where it's yeah. like a whole bunch of old school uh, technology all around, and it's just like completely empty except for this doll on a rocking chair. It's her doll. Yep. And so like it's a very like horror-y vibe, and he walks up to the TV, and it's just like this. A, a, like an empty room with like padded walls and like a table in the middle and he's like uh this is the show you're watching and she's like well yeah it's all that's on tv on every channel <laughs> and he's like uh that's not normal <laughs> and so he's flipping the channels and it's like i'm imagining this on tv and it's awesome because like it's just like him flipping and it's all that room it's like the ring kind of almost yep. it's like there's cameras inside the house so and she's like oh okay well if we can't fix the tv that's okay and she kind of explains, like, her whole thing with the imaginary friends. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, when I was a kid, I had imaginary friends, too. Like, that's normal. And she's like, well, mine are a little different. Like, sometimes mine come to life. Yeah. And, like, like, he's Is that seen normal? one of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's going to be kind of a wrench thrown in this, too, because the... Uh, uh, the way this we we skipped over this part actually. The, the way the issue opens is when right when Chief is about to leave, he tells Joshua like, "Listen, I need you to watch Dorothy. Just like watch over her for a little bit. Like her TV's on the fritz. Don't if you could fix that, that'd be great." But <laughs> um, also, there's a machine in the basement that it's kind of cool. There's some some parallels here with another book that was going on. I think this is around the time when Justice League International was going on, hmm. which is uh, an era where uh, Maxwell Lord, who was a villain, led the Justice League, and it, it was a cool mixture of the Justice League. It was like Booster Gold and and uh, Martian Manhunter and like a bunch of like you know B list characters oh, got okay. to step up. Oh, cool! Um, but there's a cool tie in here where uh, Chief says like, "Oh, Maxwell Lord like wants us to check on this machine in the basement because he wants one," which is like an ominous oh. sign because like Maxwell Lord's a villain, like clearly doing villain things over there, he's <laughs> acting like a hero. Oh, great! It's kind of like Norman Osborn in that Fantastic Four book we just read, where yep. he was like you know acting like a good guy, but he wasn't. Yeah, totally. Um, so. Chief tells him, like, oh, there's this mysterious machine in the basement. Make sure uh, Maxwell Lord wants one. Just make sure it's not doing anything fucky. Yeah. And he's like, uh, all right, are you going to tell me what it does? Not exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's another moment where Chief leaves out a lot of vital information right. that really could have helped. 
Um, because it turns out that there's a machine in the basement, like, uh, basically amplifying Dorothy's powers. Which and- seems like a big fucking oversight. Oh, it's a huge oversight, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, the chief knows how dangerous she can be. Let's just leave this machine on. Yeah, that's a fuck up. Yeah. So Joshua doesn't realize it at first because he doesn't know really what it does. Yeah. Um, and but, I, he doesn't even understand the true, like, uh, you know, grasp of Dorothy's powers yet. Right. But some of the, uh, but some of Dorothy's, like, creatures start coming to life because of this machine, like, which is something that essentially hasn't happened yet. Yeah. They've appeared, like, that you can see them, but they've never really... Flashes. They've never really been, like, in the world, like, where they can interact with things. Yeah. Um, but they start doing it now because, like, these ink creatures start, like, gooing up from the ground and attacking Joshua. Yeah. It looks and- like the... the like the weird ink things from Resident Evil 7. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a good comparison. Um, and uh, there's a really good scene where Dorothy starts running into the creatures as well because she looks back at that TV that we mentioned. Yeah, where- this is one of the most terrifying. Oh, yeah, this was scary as shit because she sees that room again, the padded room with the table in the middle. Yeah. Uh, it's on TV again, and she looks at the TV, and then like the TV changes, and now it's the padded room with the table, but now there's a pair of bloody shoes on the table. Yeah, with the blood all over the wall. Blood, yeah. Yeah, and like the, they're like Dorothy's like red slippers. And she goes up to the TV, and she's like, oh, no, no, because she knows who this is. Yeah. And it's this creature behind her, and I don't even know how to begin describing this creature it's horrifying yeah it's like a man <laughs> with wearing a blazer a skyline like suit it, well it's not even a skyline it's a it's a bunch of newspaper uh clippings he says oh okay yeah the kind and, of like and, a he's the, he, and his blazer the clippings like on the newspaper clippings are all like crosswords and the crosswords, oh yeah you're right I they see get it now. filled out as he's like standing so this okay. would be a cool one to see in live action that would be because you'd see all the crosswords being filled out on his blazer as he's just standing there that'd actually be really yeah, cool it'd be a detailed animation hell yeah. yeah um but then his head is is fucked up it's, it's basically like, it's like a yeah those giant like uh it's like those pacifiers you can get at like the circus or like the carnival where you put them in your mouth and then it's like a giant pair of like cartoon lips yep almost and he's got like six eyes like a like a spider yeah it's a it's really gross yeah <laughs> and he's got like this baton that he just like pats against his hand like he's gonna attack you yep and he's like oh hello dorothy and he kind of pitches this like horror plan that he has where he wants her to put on these red slippers so he can cut her feet off yeah that's uh that's not good that's <laughs> horrifying and she's like uh mr man please don't make me wear these shoes and then cut my feet off that i like be- my feet yeah please no and so like it's literally these creatures chasing her trying to cut her feet off yeah like this is a horrifying issue yes <laughs> <laughs> and we meet one of her other personalities. This one, I think, showed up in the show. Yeah, um, it did. Oh, totally. Yep. Yep. It's, sure. um, it's basically this woman in, like, uh, this apron, like a cooking apron, with her head is like a frame with a light bulb in it. Like, yeah. a, like a mirror with a light bulb yep. in it. Uh, and she's got the same kind of, like, uh, this, like... The smiling, like, yeah. uh, re- like lipstick face. Yeah. And there's also, like, a floating baby with, like, an uh, egghead with one eye. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Just to throw it in. So, yeah, these are, these are interesting creatures that are chasing That's a now. family. I, actually, I think the thing he has isn't a baton. I think it's, like, a sewing needle. No, I think it's, like, um, like drill sergeants. Is, like, they kind of extend. You can, like, shove them back. They, they collapse on well, each that, other. That's how he's holding it. you hit them with, like, a chalkboard. No, you're right. That's how he's holding it. But it is a sewing needle. Like, it's got the, oh, yeah, you're the totally loop right. on the end. He, yep. he sews the door shut. You're totally right. It. Yeah. Yep. So like that. So he's literally like sewing it with magic, like sewing the door shut. Oh, You'll that's never even more horrifying. That's even more horrifying. Great. Yeah. <laughs> it's like like this is prime horror comics. I oh love yeah. This. And so like all these creatures are chasing her down the hallway, and she runs into Joshua. And she's like, "Holy fuck! Help me, please!" And he's like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. And so they all run into the basement, and all of a sudden, like it hits Joshua. He's like, "Wait a minute." The fucking machine. Yeah, maybe that machine oh, that like God. that the chief like for some reason didn't want to explain to me. 
Yeah, and so like the second he realizes it, he's like, "Oh God damn it, Chief!" <laughs> and like he uses his like Captain Marvel hand, his photon hand, and punches a floor in the f- like uh, punches a hole in the floor. Yeah, and gets down and just smashes the machine with his fist. When he uses his powers, Joshua's a fucking badass. I was gonna say like it seems like his ceiling's pretty high too. It, yeah, because he he's got like Superman level strength. It looks like here. Yeah, like, he literally like opens up a metal floor and then like smashes this giant metal machine to bits. Yep. So, uh, so it's it's like it's the second he does that, like basically the creatures have what they want and they just start melting away. Like they, their existence is starting to kind of like falter, and uh, we kind of get some backstory too as to why these creatures exist as well. Because what makes Dorothy like kind of like really good for horror elements as well is a lot of what horror is is kind of like uh, our subconscious fears being like just like kind of symbolically put into monsters and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Like for example, like vampires were created as like a symbolic like you know uh, way to fear the rich. Like yep. the rich are like taking you and sucking your blood and dragging you off. Like, yeah, that, that's a. a the symbolic representation of vampires. Yep. So this is a good, like Dorothy sets it up like in a similar way where all of the creatures she creates symbolically represent fears that she has in her head. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we end up finding out, the reason why these creatures exist, the way, the reason why these things were spawned in her head is because she was like shamed as a girl for having her period, like during a, like a school play essentially. Yep. And, uh, and she started like bleeding on her shoes. And so now she has this fear of like these bloody shoes mm-hmm. and like it's manifested itself in uh, these creatures who want to cut off her feet and make her shoes bloody. Yep. So it's like literally her fears manifesting themselves into much hor- more horrifying like actual creatures. Yeah, that's again in the Invisibles. That's awesome. There's because in the Invisibles, there's a thing where they'll basically give someone in this certain compound where and they'll show them just a word, and all they have to do is show you a word, and what I've, it'll basically gives you like a trippy image of what that word actually represents and takes like a deep subconscious root fear you have and like amplifies that and portrays that through your subconscious. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's uh, similar lines to what, like how Dorothy works. Oh yeah, for sure. They basically took Dorothy's powers and turned it in like a torture, like routine. Oh, That would work. (laughs) Yeah. That would be, uh, that would work well. Exactly. Um, and so it ends with like, she actually like, she kind of gets over and that's what work makes horror work as well. It's like by the end, a lot of times it has a good message because it's you overcoming that fear and kind of of conquering it because at the end Dorothy's like well, I'm not afraid of you guys anymore and she puts on the red shoes and she's like wait like this whole time I thought these were bloody shoes but they're not look down they're red slippers get it I'm Dorothy yep. and it's like oh that's like super sweet like she's conquered her fear and like she doesn't view it as like a negative thing anymore now they're red slippers now it's like you know something she loves like it's like you know now she's Dorothy and that's another like that's another one of my favorite things that Graham Morrison does is a lot of themes that he runs is that like you can't defeat darkness with violence and darkness like you have to defeat it with light like you you can't just defeat evil with evil like over and over and expect to make a difference yeah i like that that's a that's a good way to tie so that's why i wanted to 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 put this issue in here as well like this one-off is like a really great issue to introduce you to dorothy and like just as a standalone issue yeah a great horror like a like you could make this a great like uh, one-off like episode on creep show or something yeah totally anthology horror show and graham graham morrison is just amazing at one-offs like that too even in the invisibles there's a couple like that there's a couple in the filth where they're just like you'll be reading the issue and almost they're they're somewhere they're not even characters you know and Mm -hmm. it'll just be an issue with an entire new story and it like almost won't tie in at all but it'll just be amazing yeah horror works really well in uh short shorter stories oh yeah Um, another book i read harrow county does a lot of uh like that one-off stories called like tales from harrow county okay which are just like one-offs about these cryptid creatures that show up once and it's just like one person's encounter with that cryptid nice and so like there's really cool stories you can do because you like i said sometimes the stuff you don't tell is what makes it like like spooky or interesting like, yeah especially in horror 
Totally, yeah. So like that's the way to play it. Yep. Um, and uh, this issue does also uh, with another one end with another one of our epilogues where uh, we see what we'll find out is Mister Nobody recruiting more people for the Brotherhood of Evil. Yeah, you get kind of a, a picture of Paris in there, which kind of has a little bit of meaning. Yep, we'll get to that. We'll get to Paris for <laughs> oh, sure. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, so if you want to hear more about Mister Nobody, you're definitely going to want to join us next week because the next story is all about the painting that ate Paris and uh, Mister Nobody's oh, Mister Nobody's origins. Like, where it's all going to be about Mister Nobody essentially. Yep. Um, is what that next. So it kind of sucks. Be. It's like they're actually well, one of the stories in those arcs happened in the second season, but yeah, the whole Mister Nobody is all first season. Right. So it's maybe fortunate that we waited a, a year to start covering the book. Yeah. Because a lot of the stuff we talked about is all season two material. Like yep. this week. Yeah. True. Like, you know, Dorothy and Jack and all that was all season two material. Yeah, so. that's true. Actually. So now that we've waited, we didn't spoil the show for anybody at least. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> now that we're towards the end of the episode, we do also want to talk a little bit about just catch up on some of our thoughts on season one of the Doom Patrol show. Yeah. Um, because. Like I said, we're we're more of a comic book podcast than we are like a media like TV show movie podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do kind of want to talk about some things just because like Doom Patrol as a show, I think is more than just a, like we we'll watch pretty much any comic book show or movie like that's oh, that yeah. much is evident. We just watched Howard the Duck. Yeah, <laughs> but like Doom Patrol is is not like I think it transcends being a superhero show to the point where it's like it's a show I would recommend just in general as one of the better shows I've seen ever exactly yeah like you don't have to be a comic book fan to enjoy like this show you just have to be a a fan of like just good well-produced television yeah i would put this up there with like some of my favorite shows ever like you know breaking bad or mad men or like uh boardwalk empire or any of that i would put this up there with the best of them like from an outside like perspective there are a lot of elements of this show that look just wacky as hell and like it's gonna turn a lot of people off but when you actually like like get a deep dive on this show like it has a lot yeah of if you sit down and actually give it a chance and engage with it you'll be like oh shit this is genius yeah like in the past two years has been like one top three shows like i've seen like put out there at all yeah um like th- this show and i think legion are the two shows that gave me faith in like you know uh adaptations for superhero stuff after exactly kind of getting a little stale after the netflix marvel tv shows yeah like, <laughs> I mean, daredevil's were... good but yeah, though, did, we'll, and we'll cover more Daredevil. I do like oh, that Oh, yeah, one. yeah. Uh, but yeah, the rest of them were just not very great. I mean, Jessica Jones season one. Yeah, I've yeah. heard that's good. Um, but yeah, so Doom Patrol, uh, like, it, it kind of, like, like set a higher standard, I think. Oh, yeah. Because this came out after Titans, which was absolute garbage. Like, holy <laughs> shit, like, like uh, DC Universe was not even taken seriously before this because we were like, this is all bullshit. Yeah, I'd never even heard of it. Yeah. Like I said, we're going to kind of like go through this a little bit quicker than normal. We've talked about the show Doom Patrol before. If you want to hear us talk about the... We did we talked about the whole pilot, basically. Yeah, we did like an extended talk about the pilot, and we talked about the show generally a lot, too. Yeah. Um, we did a uh, an episode, a guest spot on the Super Sons podcast uh, yep. during a bit, a few months... I think that was like five or six months ago. That was a good amount. Uh, when they were doing... Uh, they did like a guest bit where they were having a bunch of people kind of come in and guest host their podcast. It's yeah. kind of a joke they were doing. Yeah. Um, so we, we did a whole hour talking about this show already. So <laughs> yeah. You can go track that down. Uh, also, go listen to the Super Sons podcast. It's a good show. Oh, yeah. Um, but you can find our episode there talking about it as well. But uh, just to kind of reiterate some things we said there, like the, the whole cast in this show carries it as well. Because mm-hmm. Brendan Fraser, like people have been calling for him to be casted in shit forever. Yeah. Because for some reason, he just stopped showing up See, in movies I, and shows. Okay. I was talking with my dad yesterday about this because I've been getting him into Doom Patrol. And apparently he was telling me something where like Brendan, Fla- uh, Brendan Fraser got kind of blacklisted for a while. Like not because he did anything like criminally or anything, but like just maybe offended just, the wrong people. Yeah. Or offended something. the wrong yeah. director 
actors and like just didn't get along with a lot of the Hollywood like well, Hollywood's uh, fucked like, up like, like that. the upper echelon people and just pissed off too many managers and agents and shit. Yeah, Hollywood's like all like a friends club. Yeah, yeah I mean, so it, he kind of just fucked off for a little bit, I think. But you know, they reached out to him at the right time. Like, this yeah, was the, this was a hell of a role for him. I love it because yeah, it's insane. Like, I mean, obviously, I mean, I really the only like well done probably Brendan Fraser roles I can think of are like the mummy movies like one and two at least and then I, I can't think of monkey bone is that a movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if we're looking for deep cut Brendan Fraser movies I'm not the first jungle to jungle <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no Brendan Fraser the center of the earth Brendan Fraser straight, yeah <laughs> oh my god yes 3d but no, Brendan Fraser in this show is literally like a national treasure. Like oh, yeah. it's insane how amazing he is in this. Oh, and Diane Guerrero as Jane should get an Emmy for this. Oh yeah, it's like playing a, a character that has sixty four different personalities and playing them all like insanely good is amazing. Yeah, and like making them all like distinct too. and believable. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and like a lot of the voices she does for the different personalities are all her too. Yep. Um, she did like uh, an AMA on Twitter recently and answered a bunch of questions that people had, oh, dope. and she talked about that like like. Ninety percent of the voices she does, like for the ones that aren't like extra dimensional demons and shit. Yeah, yeah, like Black Annis. Yeah, exactly. Um, like she does the voices for like all of them, and I'm like, that's crazy. Like imagine like her switching on a dime from like Baby Doll to Hammerhead. You know, mm-hmm. that that that, t- that takes talent. No, it's really well done. Um, and then also we haven't talked about him in the comic yet, but uh, Alan Tudyk is Mr. Nobody. Yep. Uh, is 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 awesome in the show because yeah, they use him was... very sparingly, but when he does show up, it's it's like serious business. Yeah, and they kind of use him as like a fourth wally kind of narrator for a lot of the episodes. Yep. And it, it it works well comedically, especially, but it also like it adds a lot to like just the storytelling of yeah, it. Yeah, a good example of that is the way we open episode two, because in episode two, like uh, he opens it up talking to Chief. He's like, "All right, now that we've kicked off all." The the people who were just giving this show a chance and gave oh, up yeah. after one episode. Now we're just stuck with the DC fans and the Grant Morrison fans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and the people who decided to stick around after the whole donkey bit. <laughs> <laughs> and people who left their TVs on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's where we kind of get like our uh, meta breaking the fourth wall yep. kind of because that and that's a big theme of the Doom Patrol, like we talked about. Exactly. The yeah, the fiction. comic is very meta as well. So, so adapting that, like. Pro- portion of it is really smart. Yeah, like there's parts too where like Mister Nobody will be wearing like gear from the show, like later on towards the finale. Yeah, and th- stuff. yeah, he'll have a poster that like the Doom Patrol DC show, and he'll be talking about it. Like, Big boy, I hope the show doesn't get canceled. I have big plans for season two. Like, <laughs> right. like that. You know, I like that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and then Cyborg too. Um, Cyborg's not a part of the Doom Patrol at all, like ever. Yeah, no. But he, him being in this show is like a blessing. Is like a blessing I never saw coming. Yeah, the, it's an amazingly done like uh, Cyborg because ninety nine percent of people would have put him in that Titan show. Yep, and he would have been terrible, just like everyone else <laughs> in that show, um, except for Crypto. Crypto is good. Oh yeah, but <laughs> That's the, little, the only good part of that show. The few scenes I saw of Crypto <laughs> looked amazing. But they, so like, thank God that Cyborg is in this show because they can like this is the best Cyborg story I think I've ever seen. Oh Comics yeah, or otherwise. I haven't seen too many Cyborg stories besides like Teen Titans back in the day. Because like but... the Cyborg pitch they do for this whole season is essentially like like a horror story. Yep, it's like uh, Mister Nobody gets in his head and basically asks him like. Well, if your dad made you this body and has all your tech and has access to everything, like he might be controlling you and making you do things you don't want to and like altering your thoughts and your memories. Yeah, like do you actually have free will? Like what your memories are, are those actually real or is that what your dad put in you? Yeah, so over the whole season he's like, you know, slowly having doubts at one point, like even going as far as like, you know, beating his dad like uh, as he's getting controlled by Mr. Nobody yep. and then gets brought back to lucidity as uh, in the aftermath just to drive him crazy. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so that that's a really fucking, that's a cool cyborg story where it's like you're losing control of your body. It's like body horror. 
score. Yep. And which, that's and that's basically how a lot of the season operates is and that's a a really good device they use to like build these characters is that Mr. Nobody basically tries to divide and conquer and just put all everyone in the Doom Patrol against each other by exposing, you know, their insecurities and weaknesses and making them all extremely extremely vulnerable and like pitting them against each other. Yep, so that that's what makes him a good villain too because oh, yeah. he, he he basically has the powers of Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, he's very powerful. But instead of just being like a guy who's just bored all the time like Dr. Manhattan. Yep. He's, yeah. He's he even like a, says it too, because like he's like, oh, like I'm not gonna kill them now. I was like, that'd be too easy. Like, I'm like we're gonna like have fun. But yeah, what we find out is he's the reason he's torturing all all of these members of the Doom Patrol is more of a personal vendetta against Niles. Yep. Um, and the Niles, and that's the well, maybe the one complaint about I have about season one is it seems like they they didn't have a lot of time with Timothy Dalton. That's the thing. I'd like a part of me wants to think that first season kind of lower budget they didn't have enough money to pay timothy dalton because he's for been in every episode time. of season two. Oh yeah, yeah he's been in all of season two but yeah season one he he's in the first one then he pops out for a few and then he pops in for a couple pops out again and it just kind of filters right um and some of these episodes like there's like e- there's some episodes in particular that stand out i mean they're really they're really all good i mean there's only a couple in here that i would say are maybe like kind of like a little bit of filler yeah um, uh, yeah there's a couple filler yeah yeah but a lot of them like really stand out they have a really good adaptation of a story i think we'll get to uh of the cult of the unwritten book yeah they have a really good two-parter on that that yeah, i they, enjoyed they basically combine that and the scissor man story and a little like, bit yeah they kind of take elements from both of those yeah. and combine them um and that was a fun story in the show too because it kind of has mr nobody realizing that if all the doom patrol died his game is over yeah so for a, a minute he actually sides with the doom patrol which yeah. is uh, something that we i don't think we ever see in the graham morrison run um, i mean th- there, there's kind of a point where the Doom Patrol's like they don't necessarily disagree with him, but they don't right. Join but he's him, never yeah. like helping. Oh them. no, no, yeah, or like yeah. teaming up with them, for like you know, using his powers, like, yeah, in an intelligent not. way. No, because like the version we see of of Mister Nobody in the movie, or sorry, in the show, is kind of like uh, is a little bit different. I'm wondering if we're just seeing like maybe an earlier stage of him, because the the version of Mister Nobody we see in the show is more of like a cold, calculating. Um, you know, he's a little bit goofy, but he's not insane. Yeah. Um, but he, he basically, is, he's got a goal. Like, he wants revenge on Niles. Like, it's a personal goal with, like, a very clear purpose. Yeah, he's more human in the yes, show. Yes, definitely. In the, yeah, in the comics, he's more of just, you know, kind of beyond, you know, human wants and needs and just, like, fucks around. Right. He's literally, <laughs> like, he's almost like the god of, like, chaos. Uh, loopiness. Yeah, yeah, chaos or just, like, trickery. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I wonder if the show is maybe going for that, too. Because where we leave Mr. Nobody, he ends up, like, stuck in that painting forever. Yeah. So I wonder if maybe they're going to pitch it where it's like, and, and I guess this episode might be dated because maybe they will do this. Oh, um, true, yeah. Be, but like, I wonder if they'll maybe twist that and have him be more of the insane Mr. Nobody when he gets out. Yeah. Be like, I, I, I was in there and I'm over my story of revenge. Now exactly. I'm just here to spread insanity. Yeah, because yeah, time for them could be way stretched out compared to how it is like outside the painting. Too, right, and so. it would be kind of boring if he came back and it was the same thing. He just wants Niles dead. Exactly, or He wants yeah. revenge on Niles. You know? Yeah. That, it's got to be something new. We already time. saw that. If right. anything, what I hope is that they get Mr. Nobody back to stop Niles because Niles is the villain. Oh, that'd now. be a cool take too, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, some of these episodes are fantastic. There's um the one we actually rewatched one of them for for this episode just so we could watch it because we watched it all really recently. I've watched most of them a few yeah, times. Yeah, same. So I, I know this show pretty well, but so we wanted to watch at least one though, and so we picked our favorite one, which was Danny Patrol. Yeah, Danny Patrol is like one of the greatest episodes of television that I've seen. I agree. Yeah, it's, I think it's I think it's one of so my favorite well TV episodes ever. Yeah, it's um, crazy. Just, just in general, because like as a contained episode, it's just like and it's like super like um like I love the episodes that actually like have like a message, like have something to say. 
too. Yep. And then that one feels like just like the most like like literally you will cry watching that. Episode. Oh yeah, it's so fucking good. Exactly. And and it, it mainly revolves around Larry, and it's one of the few times too where the episode is working through a problem that Larry's having, and Larry actually steps up to the occasion in like a bigger way than anyone ever thought he could. Yeah, because Danny is just like Danny is the best character in Doom Patrol, the comic comics and, and the show. show. Easy, easily, yeah. yeah, by far. Him I and think. Flex, because like, well, yeah, Flex is great too. Yeah, but yeah. like <laughs> they kind of go hand in hand. Danny is the goat, though. Yeah, just undisputedly, like they, like because like Danny is essentially he. He, he feeds off happiness, which sounds like it would be a scary thing. Yeah. But what it turns him into is basically just like a god of acceptance almost because he's like, whatever makes you happy, he's you come like, here and you enjoy yourself. He's you the god you. of love, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like he just basically is just like love personified. He's, he's like, if you're going to live here, you should do whatever makes you happy. And I'm like, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's a great fucking. And so a lot of uh, people who like, uh, you know, get discriminated against, like that's why I love Danny because he allows for you to tell a really good story about like homophobia, transphobia, and like, you know, these yep. people like feel like they don't have any where to go so they find the safe space yeah exactly and, and uh and, and danny like you know that lets them celebrate who they are and that's why that episode's so fucking beautiful because they have that scene of of larry like going on stage and like you know like coming out of the closet and just like essentially like dancing yeah, and like yeah. expressing himself how he wants to yep and then like you like they have like a whole musical number which is awesome <laughs> i got that scene like i'm not the biggest kelly clarkson fan but that scene i, will I am now <laughs> <laughs> exactly you will be after that episode now, maybe, maybe i'm not a kelly clarkson fan maybe i'm a fan of, of larry singing and, that uh, song oh yeah larry morally and, corrupt um and morally corrupt yeah god, dude, morally corrupt is low-key one of the best characters in that oh, show morally corrupt is the shit yeah there's a scene at, uh, towards the end where it's just like a great scene of uh, morally corrupt, just kicking the shit out of the the federal agents who who sent her there. Yeah, um, it looks like. Like, n- didn't they ever tell you? Never lay your hands on a woman. Like, <laughs> yeah. beats the shit out of him with her high heels. Yeah, roundhouse <laughs> kick to the face yeah, with the heels. Yeah, you don't want to get a roundhouse kicked with high heels. Yeah, and I don't know if we brushed over it, but because uh, the people that are pursuing Danny are called uh, the agents from the Bureau the bureau of Normalcy. Yep, and we'll cover them in the book, I think, towards the end of our coverage that we'll get yep. to. Because yeah, I do want to do that Ant Farm story. Yeah, the Ant Farm. Yep. The Ant Farm story is really good. And that's uh, we find out in, during the episode that Larry what, used to be a prisoner from them after he got like, his powers and everything. I think that's new from the show, too. Yeah, I think it is. I don't remember that from the tying him into the Bureau of Normalcy is interesting, and they tied Niles into more into the Bureau yep. of Normalcy too, which is really good. Yeah, that was a good mix. Like, the, the way they pitch it in the show is that Niles worked for uh, a, a place called the Bureau of Oddities, yep. which is an interesting take. And then at some point during like uh, the Cold War, essentially, they changed from being the Bureau of Oddities into the Bureau of Normalcy. Yep. Like literally, uh, one of his partners has a line like, "Oh, uh, uh, weird is out, normal's in now." Yeah, so it's, it's basically like, like the atomic age, like shoved down your throat at any cost. Yeah, <laughs> like they just want the nuclear family and nothing else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like anything that we deem abnormal gets destroyed. Yep. And so like, like Danny is like teleporting around, like uh, trying to keep all these people safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so at the end of that, uh, we get a really one of the greatest Larry moments where uh, he's going up to Darren, who's like the lead, the the squad leader of the bureau, and. Uh, Darren's talking to him. He's like, hey, maybe when I get back, we'll tell him to put you on the list. And Larry just looks at him and grabs him. He's like, I'm already on it. Tell him Captain Trainer sends his regards. And then just punches his freaking lights <laughs> Such out. Such a good line. Oh, man, it's the greatest. Um, Yeah, so so that episode is probably my favorite. Although the one right after that is also extremely good, Jane oh, yeah. Patrol. Oh, yeah. Because that covers uh, a story we'll talk about more next week, which is like the whole underground story. Yep. And her kind of like confronting like the deep-seated fear she has for her extremely abusive and piece of shit like 
demon of a father. Yeah, Jane's backstory is very dark. It's yeah, and, it's super yeah, tragic. It's, but that's why crazy. she that's why she has so many personalities because the trauma she's had to experience, not just with that, but like a whole domino of like shitty things have happened to her. Yep. So that's why these personalities have existed to protect her from that, and like each one serves a different defense. Yeah, it's, it's all, all different layers. So that episode where like Larry goes into the underground and meets all of them and kind of just like he can't understand what she's feeling, but he's just like there for her. Mm-hmm. Like that 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 episode is almost exactly like from the comics too. So I'm I'm excited to talk about that one next week um so we'll, i, I will kind of get into that more because well like i said that one's kind of uh very similar so i want to talk oh, yeah. more about the differences between those next week yep um uh, but yeah so so we just wanted to talk about season one briefly here just so we could set up what we're going to talk about next week next week we're going to do more of like a because next week we can talk about stuff that people have just seen so maybe we yeah. can break down a little bit more of the detail yeah definitely um whereas this people have digested pre- pretty thoroughly at this point oh yeah um but next week we're going to be talking about more of uh like dorothy's introduction to the show because she's fantastic um i mean we see her at the end of this finale in season one yeah we, um, you, we find out that the chief's been having her like protected there by danny right in the show it she's actually chief's daughter which is a good take yeah that kind of ties her closer into the doom patrol i like that yep for sure um so so we'll kind of get into more of that next week as well um but like yeah so like i mentioned uh, if this was your first episode joining us thanks for sticking around and listening to our coverage of the doom patrol we're going to be doing more doom patrol coverage uh for a couple weeks now this is going to be yep. one, uh, back back to uh, one of our longer series we haven't like i said we haven't had the chance to really do a deep dive on anything because there's nothing been coming out yeah exactly so we've been just doing one-offs and two-offs yep. like, pretty much this whole time but now that something's <laughs> actually coming out we can do a deep dive on something that's relevant, so I'm excited for that. Yeah, it's a weird feeling, but I, I don't like know when it. it's going to happen again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we got to cherish it. For now, I'm going to enjoy it. So oh yeah, we're going to be, and we can spend a full four weeks focusing on the Doom Patrol, which I'm going to be uh, enjoying because I've been reading Doom Patrol in my spare time too. Oh yeah, same um, here. Yeah, I think you. Yeah, I finally actually just finished uh, all of Graham Morrison's run like a couple weeks ago, and I've I'm. Uh, a few issues in uh, uh, Gerard Way's. Oh, nice! Now. That, that'll be good timing. Now that you finished that, now that we've been, now that we're going back and rereading it, now you can yep. kind of reread it with the context of everything you know. Yeah, totally. Um, so it's kind of cool that it's. So now we, this will be the first series that we've covered where I think we're both starting out already read, reading the book. Yeah, this will be a kind of a revisit. Or Watchmen, I guess. But that, yeah, that was yeah. maybe the only one. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So that that'll be uh, interesting. Like we're both rereading it. Yeah. Right. Um. Because you pick up on different stuff. I think when you when you read. Oh yeah. The book. Especially when it's Graham Morrison. Yeah. That's one thing I've been doing in general more is like I'm going back to revisit comics I read a long time ago. Because especially when you start reading comics, I feel like a lot of stuff kind of goes in one ear and out the yep, other. Yeah. Totally. Because like you'll be like, oh, they're like these characters I don't understand. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. The, the next page. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'll but then, roll with it. Yeah. But now that you, like once you have the context, you go back and like, oh shit, like this all ties together. Oh, that's that thing I. I read in the other book um, so that exactly yeah so many more things connect right and like because even me rereading this now that i read justice league international like when we read the book i was like oh maxwell lord and his justice yep. league that was something that was going on yeah exactly yeah so it's cool seeing that context so uh join us again next week for more doom patrol we're going to be getting into more of season two more dorothy more larry more cliff and um oh, a lot more uh a lot more cheap like i said he's in yeah. every episode yeah exactly Some yeah, more chocolate chip pancakes <laughs> a lot more chocolate <laughs> No! <laughs> Just look after your bacon. <laughs>